Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This spider has spent over $200,000 to look like Jeremy Corbyn. Um, it follows classic joke format. Again, boom, Jeremy Corbyn. You're listening to Text Message, the UK-focused technology podcast with me, Nate Langson. <laughs> and me, Ian Morris. And brought to you by you. Thank you to our patrons supporting us each week at patreon.com slash UKtech. If you're a patron, this is, of course, your extended cut of this week's show in its new format and if you're not yet a patron but would like to get our extended cuts and my weekly columns which this week looked at our addiction to smartphone notifications head to patreon.com slash uk tech p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash uk tech to find out how you can support us and we just passed in fact we eclipsed because we got 101st our 100th patron milestone this week too so thank you to josephine craig the strays robert djh stan mark merrill and john who have been pledging since last week's episode merrill in fact just in case you're curious you were our 100th patron so thank you very much indeed uh, later on we're going to come to a brilliant and uh, intriguing interview with a gentleman called rob manuel who uh, is the founder of beta.com and worked on us versus them the poke and more recently has created a very intriguing tool called clickbait robot which i've been somewhat obsessed with the automated uh, comically irreverent uh, bot that trolls twitter uh, for intriguing headlines and ideas that is coming up in a little bit but first we've got some news and some very serious news to start us off with um now our first story does concern the uh, issue of child of sexualized child images on facebook um which is a very important story this week so if you do have little ones listening around you this is your cue to perhaps switching off or skipping forward by uh, five or six minutes uh, if you don't want uh, them to hear this story. Um, okay, there's your warning. We're going to get going. Grave doubts, that's in quotes, uh, have emerged about the effectiveness of Facebook's moderation system after an investigation revealed the social network was failing to remove sexualized images of children even after they were reported. That's according to The Guardian. The newspaper said Damien Collins, who's chair of the Culture, Media and Sport Committee in the UK, made the comments as he criticized Facebook's handling of the images, dozens of which were reported to the company by the BBC and fewer than 20% were removed. More intriguingly still, perhaps, after the BBC sent evidence of the photos to Facebook, the social media company reported the BBC to the police for distributing the images, which had been shared on private Facebook groups intended for paedophiles. Now, the BBC had said that uh, when provided with examples of the images, Facebook reported the BBC's journalists involved to the police and cancelled plans for an interview on the subject. Facebook subsequently issued a statement, which was, it is against the law for anyone to distribute images of child exploitation. Uh, The network also said, we have carefully reviewed the content referred to us and have now removed all items that were illegal or against our standards. This content is no longer on our platform. We take this matter extremely seriously and continue to improve our reporting and takedown measures. 
Now, the Culture, Media and Sports Select Committee is planning to question Facebook executives after Easter as part of its fake news inquiry and now will expand the investigation to include the social network's moderation policy. Now, it raises several interesting questions, Ian. I mean, I'm sure you have your own raised too, but mine (laughs) include A, how closely is Facebook monitoring activity on its site, really? Uh, B, are its moderators and moderation techniques actually reliable? C, let's pluck another one, does it really know what the hell it's doing? Uh, and D, I mean, the statement that Facebook came out with was a bit of a backtrack and said, okay, we've done this, we've done this, but we had to go through an incredibly ridiculous procedure in order to get there. I mean, there's nothing about this that's satisfactory. And we've known for a very long time that Facebook's uh, automated and manual review processes for images are a disgrace. Um, it removes images that have uh, legitimate historical value. Um, there are some war photographs um, and things that have been removed because they contain what the what Facebook describes as inappropriate nudity. Um, and uh, uh, there's one, I believe, of a child. Um, uh, but again, it, it's not the same thing by any stretch of the imagination. It, 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 and removing it is ridiculous. So uh, I think that they don't seem to have any automated tools that do a really good job. A lot of um, breastfeeding mothers complained that they were having photographs taken down um, of breastfeeding. Again, you know, it's not sexual. It's just a part of nature. Um, so it's, it strikes me that Facebook's ability to determine images from AI either needs some work or someone in charge of rulemaking there needs to be better at it but more importantly than anything else is the fact that what facebook's failing at here is as soon as it reported the police the bbc to the police or the journalists in question it sent a signal to people who might report images that they were at risk of being reported to the police themselves so if you were to accidentally happen upon images on facebook would you would you realistically send them to the police uh, or send them to facebook now because you might end up in more trouble yourself and that is no way to go about running a, a business you know it, these things should be done you don't i mean reporting them to police it, it might be necessary or or you know like they're, they're meant, the police will need to be involved more than likely um but it has to be done in a cooperative manner, you know, say, look, this person has alerted us to this, uh, you know, blah, blah, blah. But realistically, what Facebook has done here is nothing good. I've, I mean, I've, I've never stumbled across anything like this that's needed reporting. My belief is that if, if you stumble across something, you can report it to, um, to to an agency in in Britain yes. that will investigate it. I don't believe that um, that incriminates you for for reporting something that exists on the web, even though presumably to know about it means you'll have had to have accessed it. Um, well, I mean, they're, they're, these people who deal with these, uh, the, so the Internet Watch Foundation has um, a me- method to do this, um, uh, rep- to do the right thing and report to the IWF with confidence. You know, they they will be quite aware that people will find things in their... And they will know the the circumstances whereby people w- might find things. So it won't be a surprise to them if you go to them with, say, you know, this is how I found this, this is why, I think you should do something about it. I, I think that they're probably smart enough. I feel like Facebook has switched too much of its process to either people who aren't employed by the company and are uh, essentially contractors and AI, you know, p- uh, it's, uh, things that look for images. Um I feel like it needs to be done 
in a much better way. Like they need to have uh, people who are trained by the police or something working with with them to make sure that these people are uh, qualified and, and know what they're looking for and understand the various differences between images, uh, you know, and, and who, are, who basically have access to some real uh, support if they need it, because, I mean, who wouldn't need it? Well, let us know a way you think Facebook could get on top of this. Um, have you ever had to deal with uh, reporting any issues like this? We'd love to hear about, you know, how that process went, if you'd be at all willing, anonymously, of course, if needed, um, to let us know. Or any broader thoughts you have on Facebook, on censorship, and on and whether you agree or disagree with anything Ian and I have just said. Uh, podcast at natelangson.com is where you can send that to, or of course at text message pod, our increasingly popular popular source for UK news and interaction with our fans on Twitter. The BBC reports that BT has bowed to demands by the telecoms regulator Ofcom to legally separate OpenReach from BT, which runs the UK's broadband infrastructure. Now, Ofcom said that OpenReach will become a distinct company with its own staff, management and strategy, quote, to serve all of its customers equally. Why is this a big deal, you may ask? Well, the fact is, if you have broadband from Sky or Vodafone or TalkTalk or many others, you're almost certainly using networking gear from your house under your roads, through to the network and exchange and beyond, uh, that's powered by OpenReach, which is currently owned by BT. BT lays out the network, invests in it somewhat, and uses it for its own BT broadband and leases the lines to competitors for them to use too. Now, it's not been a great system, depending on who you ask, between questions around unreliability, uh, investment, and the very obvious issue that to any ISP using it, like Vodafone, the network is being owned and run by your largest rival. So something had to give. Now, we don't know the entire new model of how OpenReach will be structured other than the um, the independent independence with staffing and management, etc. Um, but we do know that at least some people are pleased. Sky had said a more independent OpenReach is a step towards delivering better service. TalkTalk Talk said, we hope this is the start of a new deal for Britain's broadband customers. And Vodafone said it's an encouraging start. So the question is, of course, whether this will mean Britain's broadband gets better because the technology underneath most of it uh, has become independently operated or is about to be, and therefore competition could thrive better, and that means better service and prices for all. Um, My view is that this is happening at a very interesting time when more and more people are switching to, uh, to wireless internet, perhaps, in some parts of the country through 4G deals getting much better. Uh, They're also switching to fibre optics. Virgin has done a great job at rolling out cabling across the UK too. And so this feels like it's something that needs to happen and it probably will make the infrastructure better, even if it just allows people to compete a little more fairly. But actually long term, I'm not quite sure what difference this is going to make for for anyone. Ian, do you have any views on this? I do, and I don't like you know what difference it's going to make to anyone. Um, I, I, I'm always cheered, though, when I read, uh, you know, Talk Talk making any comment on the, this kind of thing as they did in that uh, in that segment, you know. Uh, I, talk, talk Talk shouldn't be approached for comment about anything, uh, and it should be crushed uh, like um, a car that has reached the end of its life. But, um, yeah, I, I, I'm very sceptical about the whole thing. I am... Um, I didn't think the system was bad. I understand that the ISPs have complaints, um, but of course, 
why wouldn't they like they it's it's not run by them it doesn't make them money it costs them money and so they're obviously going to be grumpy about it uh, hopefully it will make a, make for a, a better system somehow but um I, I don't know they separated the train operators from the rail a long time ago and that didn't really help did it at all so i i remain skeptical let us know what you think podcast at natelikeson.com Well, ladies, gentlemen, boys and girls, it's time to delve into the bizarre as we explore just what I mean by the following sentences. Eleven jokes about sexy pheasants you'll only get if you're Sting. Radio station Jellied Eel FM launched with DJ John Major featuring the sound of sizzling jellied eels. Quiz. Can we guess your favourite pliers by which Tilda Swinton quote you like the best? Ed Miliband just rubbed out 23 sheep in two minutes in our multimedia quiz, Ed Miliband's Sheep Lynching Mayhem. Can you beat him? Dido Harding. I refuse to be shamed for owning a cactus. You've seen nothing until you've seen a picture of an owl having a job interview to become an owl. Graham Norton, I've left Club Penguin. It is unusable for anyone but trolls, robots, and autocrats. Now, without an explanation as to what I mean by these rather surreal comments, uh, you might be sitting there being quite confused, but they are, in fact, the result of a gentleman called Rob Manuel, who is joining me now. Hello, Rob. Hi. Hello. Now, some of you will recognize Rob's name. Some of you might not, but will recognize his work. He is the founder or possibly co-founder, I believe founder. Co-founder of B3TA.com. Which I call Beta. I might be wrong. Oh, yeah. Beta, Peter, rhymes with carrot, uh, B3TA, B3TA. Never name a website with a three in the middle of it. I didn't do it again with us versus them with a three in it. I did it. Oh, actually, I did, didn't I? He was also uh, responsible for us versus them. He does things with the poke names you all recognize for viral content and uh, and an interesting sense of humor so the reason that i wanted to talk to rob today uh, initially was because he created something called clickbait robot uh, which is a bot of sorts that is responsible for generating uh, the quote-unquote news or jokes or however you wish to describe them uh, that we that i mentioned at the start of the program what the hell did i just read rob you read a series of fake headlines created by a bot um, it started from the point where um, I was working for Trinity Mirror and I was asked to uh, work on a project that did similar content to BuzzFeed. And at the time, I wasn't hugely familiar with BuzzFeed, so I went and looked at it to work out what on earth I was meant to be emulating uh, within this project. And I had this few weeks of sitting on my own going, what on earth am I doing? And I needed to put, actually, actually output some kind of content to make it look like I was working. Um, so I basically made a parody of BuzzFeed that I call PussFeed, uh, where I sat there and read a load of their headlines and randomised them. And that was a precursor to Clickbait Robot. Um, and one of the headlines that it spat out in that early thing that always stayed with me as a very funny idea was 39 multi-storey car parks that looked like Oprah Winfrey. Now... When I went, then went on to run and edit the Us vs. Them project, I could never 
produce this piece of content and it always struck me as this shining jewel of perfect internet content um, and then when the project ended I thought I want to return to that and really try and nail why I find that funny and if I could uh, expand on the funniness of working with those headlines. So at the moment, I presume you've got uh, some code that you've written running on a machine uh, that sits somewhere within the, Earth's, uh, within the Earth that is monitoring Twitter or monitoring headlines, and, it, and it's spitting out these sort of automated, surreal pieces of content with an associated image. Yeah, um, how Clipbake Robot works is um, there's a piece of code that runs on a um, 10-year-old Mac in uh, North London, in Kentish Town. Um, And what it does, it polls Twitter about uh, six times an hour, every ten minutes that would be, um, looks at the trending content, um, whittles down the trending content to ones that generally have two words to them, uh, because if um, if they have two words, they are probably names, um, and then it shuffles them with uh, 752 headlines that I've selected. Um, I didn't start with a number like that. I started with, like, one. But, you know, as time goes on, I keep adding and adding to the headlines. Um, and then it spits out that content into... Um, goes off, finds an image, matches it with a headline, um, and then spits it out to a private Twitter account called Clickbait Robot Zero. Um, and then I monitor that account, and anything that I find amusing in it, I fav, and then that automatically publishes to the main account. I see. So to get something, just picking out one of my favorite here, favorites here because it's just so incredibly bizarre. Radio station Jellied Eel <laughs> FM <laughs> launched with DJ John Major featuring the sound of sizzling jellied eels. Like, there's so much weirdness to that, but it's so inherently funny and shareable because of its weirdness. I mean, is that a classic example? Like, how did, how did it pick Jellied Eel FM? Like, okay, that's okay. not something that exists. I wish it did. Jellied Eel FM doesn't exist. Um, but I look out for stories and headlines that amuse me. Um, and the, the spark of that was a PR story that happened maybe four or five months ago where um, a radio station was apparently launched called Sausage FM where they claimed to be playing the sound of sizzling sausages all day long. Um, I think it was just a promotion for, like, Sausage Week or something like that or a local butchers that had uh, subscribed to some PR agency and gone insane. Um, but I liked the story um, and so, you know, turned it into a headline um, actually, that's based on my own headline. I'd wrote that story up for the poke, then took my own headline I wrote for the poke, and then I started uh, adjusting it and putting random elements in it. Uh, so you've got the celebrity element, and then you've got the food element. Um, and I find with food, British food's particularly amusing, um, so I've got a, a lovely list in my code of uh, basically nicked from Wikipedia of British foods, like jellied eels, beef cobblers which is always a good one. It always, and like the co particularly likes putting beef cobblers into things for some reason. So, I mean, you're doing, you're using uh, Clickbait Robot now, but obviously, you know, your legacy, if, if you like, with, with Beta and the Poke and Us versus Them and other things you worked on means, you know, you've probably got a real inherent understanding of what makes things go viral, what makes people want to share things. So I'm curious about that. What does make people want to share things on the internet in your experience? Well, there's a couple of things that are divergent points here because the the focus of Clickbait Robot is not me trying to make the most shareable project ever. The focus of this is genuinely me scratching a personal sort of funny bone in myself. You know, if I was trying to make, and I have many times in my life tried to make very shareable, very viral content, I wouldn't pick this subject. You know, it's a niche subject because, you know, the, most of the world does not care about how headlines are written. Um, it's stuffed with, like, 80s celebrities and old references to TV. This is my weird personal project. 
So in terms of actual real shareable content, if you're, you're focusing on that, um, you know, like there's a phrase that, that's, that's, that's used that in a, very negatively these days. People talk about virtue signaling um, as, as a way of like, you know, annoying liberals kind of thing. But you can use it in a very positive way, which is that you can create content that uh, with an eye of making stuff that people want to say about themselves. You know, we did it in Us versus Them with um, a project we did called uh, How Much Does the Daily Mail Hate You? Um, and that was very much engineered from the point of view of thinking about what do people want to say. They want to say they want to define themselves by they are not the Daily Mail, um, and that did like four or five million um, uniques. Um, we also did a project called uh, How Northern Are You? Again, people were very proud to define themselves as you know I'm a hundred percent Northern kind of thing. Um, you know, so people want content in that kind of shareable context about themselves that says something about them. Um, I think a lot of um, uh, marketing viral stuff often goes very wrong because it's often about what what the brand wants to say, which is fine, but you can do, mostly you can achieve that through traditional ad buying rather than trying to make something that people share because people don't want to share, I don't know, whatever the hell Colgate want to say about their toothpaste. They want to share something about, oh my God, you know, this, 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 this. My, my love of Ina Blyton means that I'm actually a good person. Actually, I've stumbled onto the, the very good bit at the end, which is people want to basically share that they're inherently good and nice, I think. Yeah. I did wonder if anything is, is changing radically in the sense of how content is, is, is shared um, over the last few years and if there's anything that you have sort of observed and thinking, well, something I did you know, four or five years ago now possibly wouldn't work. Well, you know, there's different, different mechanisms you can work on. Cause like the, what we were talking about just then was about the, the shareable mechanism. Um, but when I was working, uh, you know, in the early days of trying to make viral content, the early days of beta, um, I was very much working on the idea of just making something outrageous that people would show to their friends with the, the idea of, oh, my God, can you believe they've made this? You know, and so work I did in that vein a long time ago was like Buffy's swearing keyboard. Uh, you know, it was a very calculated piece of work. You know, it was like basically at the core of it, there was like me thinking, well, I find swearing funny. I find interactive toys delightful. You press a button, a thing happens. Making computer swears funny. Um, but also the, the specific picking of Buffy was a very calculated move because... Um, a, it made it funnier, but it, B, I was trying to get it into the Pop Bitch newsletter, and I knew the guy who wrote it was a Buffy obsessive. And so if I put the Buffy reference into this piece of fun content, I could probably get him to uh, do it, and then it would probably go out to these like 200,000 people that read that newsletter. And that at the time was like my main mechanism of making content go viral was basically appealing to this one powerful person who had the ability to broadcast it to lots of people. And I think that as a mechanism still exists, but those nubs of knowing who those people are is, is sort of secret information that not everyone knows about. You know. Uh, before we finish up, I am curious of whether you have a personal favourite um, clickbait robot Product. I know there's one that involves a spider that I believe you're you're quite fond of, and uh, and if you have if you have one, you might want to share with us. Um, this was a good one. It's the fourth most shared. This spider has spent over two hundred thousand dollars to look like Jeremy Corbyn. Um, it follows classic joke format again. Did a little, little, little boom, Jeremy Corbyn. He's always, for better or worse, a funny person to joke about. Um, there are two types of people in this world: those who hate Piers Morgan and those who are Piers Morgan. <laughs> Piers Morgan's actually blocked me on Twitter, whereas his co-host follows me on Twitter. So you know, that, I, I think I've got that the right way around. 
Um, Brum has just posted an insane fan theory that Nigel Farage has been dead since 1992, and it's literally blown our minds. Brum, in this case, being the, the CBB's uh, car that could talk from the early 90s. Uh, Michael Gove, the rumour that I pushed 86 bread and butter puddings up my rear is incorrect. <laughs> it's the very specificness of the amount. The, you know, it's that, that non-denial denial. Brilliant. OK, well, Robert, this has been so much fun. Um, how do people follow Clickbait Robot if they want to get involved in, uh, in this fun you're having? Um, follow Clickbait Robot on Twitter.com, on Facebook.com, um, on Tumblr.com. There isn't an Instagram one yet or Snapchat, sorry. <laughs> All in good time. Rob, thank you so much, mate. Okay, thank you. Well, final story for the day. Just a little token nod here, because we mentioned this a few weeks ago. Uh, the service BritBox. This is a partnership between BBC and ITV to launch a streaming service for you, uh, viewers in the United States who want to watch classic and current British television programs. Now, this was rumoured to be launching. This week, it did launch. It's launched at, I think, $6.99 a month with a free trial of a week to begin with. And I took a quick look at this because I wanted to see what it was what it was like and sort of how closely it resembles my view of classic British television and whether we're being misrepresented uh, stateside or not. A little bit annoying when I signed up to the service to see it said with a logo from the BBC and ITV saying not available in your country. So I quickly engaged a a VPN um, that (laughs) was based in uh, Chicago um, so I could sign up and have a quick look at at what it was like. And I have to say, I'm pretty impressed. Um, the, The streaming quality is generally quite good. Most of the shows that are on there that are older than the last sort of 15 years or so um, were shot on videotape and so not a, not a lot of them are in HD the quality is is you know has a has a ceiling simply because of the the type of media it was recorded on but the quality is still pretty good um, it's got a quite a broad range of shows um, such as Keeping Up Appearances The Office Faulty Towers Blackadder Are You Being Served um, some but not all Gavin and Stacey Inspector Morse and there's also some daytime shows like Antique's favourite Flog It and weirdly Ugh. Prime Minister's Questions uh, the video what? feed broadcast weekly from Parliament that um, is ridiculous the interface is good I think that it works well. It's clear. It's easy to browse. It's not doing an amazing job at highlighting some of the nostalgia that comes with some of these shows. Like why, if you were discovering some of these programs for the first time, would you choose Keeping Up Appearances over Faulty Towers if you've inexplicably never heard of any of them? Which I suppose isn't that inexplicable if you're a US um, audience. And also, I really felt that this it medically needs, medically needs, Channel 4's content on there. Because... BBC and ITV have produced some great programs over the years, ITV particularly for for dramas, Um, but Channel 4, some of the stuff that everyone in America will have heard of from Britain... I mean, it probably originated in, in Channel 4, on Channel 4. Uh, and another thing that I think it could really do well with is uh, is some game shows. You know, I, I, I've recently been watching a lot of catchphrase from the 1980s and 1990s, good old Roy Walker. Um, one of the most, if not the most, highly pre- paid TV personality in the 1990s and <laughs> well-deserved that pay packet was, if you've ever seen any of his output. And I, I just sort of felt, well, if you're going to include things like Prime Minister's Questions and flog it, then you're going to need to get something on there like at least bargain hunt but ideally catchphrase would be great deal or no deal which also was channel four um 
you know, Family Fortunes, which I think was an American format originally, but um, it was very popular here in its British uh, iteration. Um, but overall, I felt like it was uh, it was well representative, uh, well representing the the British spread of of television um, as a starting point. Lots to go on, but I hope that it will expand and get it get an audience. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, the, like you say, it, it needs to be something that people actually want to watch. I mean, I know there is a, a, a sort of inherent interest in British TV from the Americans, but I wonder how much of that is based on the, the romantic idea of Downton Abbey rather than the reality of, you know, 80s British comedy, which is that it's a lot of it fairly crap. Uh, I mean, obviously, I mean, Keeping Up Appearances was never to my taste, but I'm aware that it was very popular. Uh, I, I don't know whether the... Americans will understand the the class system enough to understand what's going on in that show. I believe um, Keeping Up Appearances has is quite popular in the US in the yeah, circles of American viewers who do watch it. Yeah, uh, it is so inherently British. It is in, very British in that, in, in that sense. And I, I would be very interested to know whether or not it, it re- has any resonation. I suppose. I suppose the idea of moving outside of your class and and wanting to be upwardly aspirational isn't in any way uniquely british it's something that applies to all people so it's it's obviously going to have appeal anywhere um again whether or not those comedies have dated i I know that you and i are both uh, massive good life fans aren't we so that's one that should definitely be on there that i i expect isn't if you've been using britbox or uh, or plan to use it over the next week then do let us know what you think we'd love to hear about uh, your views particularly if you're an american uh, user obviously and whether there's anything there compelling enough for you to want to sign up or sign up for free and continue the subscription might might be one that's popular with expats as well people who've you know, left years ago and, and fancy catching up on their, their old, the stuff that they grew up in this country with. So there's probably is a market for it, isn't there? I think so. Let us know. Podcast at natelangson.com. Well, last week we talked uh, a bit about the police officer, um, well, not police officer specifically, but the police uh, pulling people over for using their phones while driving and what that will mean for new drivers uh, and their loss of license or points on their license. And it provoked a number of responses uh, we had from our patrons and from people on Twitter. Uh, One of our patrons, Rich Taylor, uh, he emailed in to say, I got queried as to what are those from a police officer when he stopped me with the new Apple AirPods in. I was using them to make a call and after his initial, wow, they are tiny, do they work well? He said they were okay to use provided that I was able to control the call through the in-car controls and not use the phone screen. Which is a bit crazy considering the in-car controls is a large touchscreen. Uh, he clarified and said he didn't stop me because he noticed the earpods. It was standard Northern Ireland police checkpoint where they stop everyone. He was extremely pleasant and professional. Little stern about me being on the phone call, uh, but this, but his his enthusiasm for the earpods was pretty awesome and said fine to use them in the car while whilst driving. Um, so that's that's good. If anyone was curious about whether they could use their earpods uh, in the car, then according to Richard, at least that's that's okay. Thanks very much to Richard for sending in uh, in that note, which he actually did uh, as a comment on our Patreon page. So thank you for, for being a patron, of course. Um, we also had an email come in from Nick, a little long this, but we did appeal for people who had been caught using phones um, to, to tell us their story and, and how that process went. And uh, we did have this email come in from Nick, um, who uh, was happy for us to use his first name. And um, he wrote in with this. My own experience is that I was caught using my mobile phone while traveling at walking pace in a queue. 
I use my iPhone for all of my media and play it through a stereo in the car or often via Bluetooth to an intercom in my motorcycle helmet. Not that that's relevant. In the instance where I was caught, I was changing podcasts while either stationary or moving at around five five miles per hour. Ultimately, I accept that I broke the law and I accept full responsibility for that. In this instance, I believe I was reported to the police by a member of the public traveling in the car behind me in the queue. The police then intercepted me the following day in the same location. I was offered the option of taking part in a driver awareness course, which I have to say was surprisingly enlightening and educational, and really did highlight some of the science behind the hazards of having impaired judgment or reduced attention. The interesting thing that the course also taught me was that it's not physically the act of holding or using the phone that's illegal. The law actually relates to doing acts which may be judged as causing you to be distracted from the task of driving. So this would include, for example, eating, telling the kids off in the back, or fishing something out from a passenger footwell. To me, at least, it should be no more illegal to change a podcast on a touchscreen display on a fo- or a phone mounted in a cradle-, cradle than it is doing the same, for example, via an Apple Car touchscreen display built into the car itself, or adjusting the heater controls, or indeed any other action which may be perceived as distracting your attention. Clearly, though, this is aimed squarely at the likes of the truck driver that killed a police officer because he was browsing eBay while driving. There is a difference. My point is that if I continue to use my phone as my media storage device and regularly undertake long journeys where I will listen to a number of podcasts over the period of two to three hours, it's not practical, at least not convenient for me, to have to park and stop my engine if I want to change podcasts. But I also accept that I need to do so in a way which is not distracting or detrimental to my own safety or those of other road users. This cannot be an issue that only I face, and it's something I'm curious about how I and other others should respond, as I'm not in a position to be able to upgrade my car to have more modern systems, and it's probably not possible for me to change the in-car entertainment system in my car to something that would allow me to sync my media. So the likelihood is that I am... I and thousands of other road users will continue to have this quandary and in many cases will continue to break the law. I don't know what the answer is other than to put my phone away or to have to interrupt my journeys or stop listening to podcasts. Perish the thought. I don't have a point as such, more an observation that I'm sure must reflect the reality for an awful lot of other road users and I'm curious to hear your thoughts. He also thanks us for informative podcasts. Thank you, Nick. And thank you for the very honest email um, about your experience. Um, I don't drive, so I'm going to divert to Ian um, for thoughts on this. We discussed this at the time, didn't we, when Nick sent it through? And I, I kind of... I, I'm all for... You know, making sure that people don't use their phones when they drive. Uh, however, uh, a couple of things about this particular email we tr- email troubled me. Uh, the first was that um, I don't like citizens dobbing in other citizens very much, but that's by the by. Um, but also, if you're at traffic, and I know, now the letter of the law in this is extremely clear, you aren't allowed to use your phone when you're stopped with the engine on in traffic. But everyone is going to do that right like i have a problem in my car where sometimes spotify on apple carplay just doesn't work and the only way to solve that is to either quit the app on the phone or unplug the phone and plug it back in again to the car so i would do that if i'm stopped at a red light now technically that's opening me up to some points and a fine i consider it to be safe uh but of course you know you can't argue with the law can you um so i don't know i i i feel like Obviously, in any in any situation, there there is obviously a time for people to go. Okay, well, you know, we we can see that you weren't intending to drive with it. Here's a warning. Off you go. Uh, but that happens increasingly less um, less. Unfortunately, people are these days tend to stick to rules, which I find infuriating. If you've got thoughts or experiences similar to Nick's, or have uh, a comment to make back, then do let us know. Podcast at Nate Langson dot com or send us a message at text message pod on Twitter. Always happy to honour 
anonymity, if you wish, when talking about sensitive subjects like this. Um, and, uh, and we can return to this in future if we, if we get some good responses. So thank you to everyone who has so far. Before we end the show, let's check in with Tom Merritt and see what's been going on in the wider world of tech over on Daily Tech News Show. Hey, thanks, guys. This week on Daily Tech News Show, we talked about how Google snippets being wildly inaccurate sometimes causes major problems for the reliability of Google Home's answers, discussed new standards for evaluating the security of consumer electronics devices, took Descartes' visual search engine for a spin. You can now search the entire Earth by picture, broke down everything you need or need not worry about from the CIA WikiLeaks data dump, and got Allison Sheridan's perspective on women in tech. She spent 30 years as an engineer. All that and much more at Daily dailytechnewsshow.com. Back to you guys. Well, Ian, that's it. That just leaves us with time to thank our patrons once again, supporting us at patreon.com forward slash UK tech. Details can be found on our website or in the MP3 link for this show or in the description or on our Twitter at text message pod. Um, it's amazing that we're in triple figures now of people supporting us over there who are getting our extended episodes, our columns, our as live versions of the recording for the very top tier. Um, and uh, it's, it's amazing that we're able to continue this and your support means the absolute world to Ian and I. I don't yep. mind putting words into his mouth there. <laughs> no, they're, so, not, they're not putting words in the mouth. You know full well that I agree with you. Yes, I do. Um, so if you're already supporting us, thank you, thank you so much. And if you're tempted to start supporting us, uh, then please do patreon.com slash UK tech. And we'll see you in a week. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.